Good morning, everyone. Doing okay? It's all getting very Christmassy out there, isn't it? We drove down the Mumbles the other night, and all the lights are on. It looks amazing. It's really pretty. And so today, we're looking at the next part of our Christmas story. And uh, Julian did the first part last week, and today we're looking at number two. And this time, we're looking at Joseph. And I don't know about you, but I often feel with the Christmas story that Joseph is like the quiet character in the background. He's the one no one really talks about. Mary's center stage. And Joseph is this like quiet character in the shadows. And so this morning, we're going to shine a light on this courageous man. He's a man of courage and a man of faith. Now, in uh, Matthew's Gospel, there's a record of Jesus' birth, and it's very important. He starts off with two very important points that we'll look at you know, later. But these two important points are this. He starts off with the lineage or the genealogy of Jesus, and it coming all the way down, and it's very, very important to show that it started with Abraham, goes down to King David, comes down to Joseph. And so this very long passage, father of, father of, father of, father of, we've got a little bit of it here, so you can see that it starts off with Abraham and goes all the way down to Jacob uh, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. And so this is a really important um, part of the story. And the other really important part that we'll come back to later is the purity. We learned last week it was very important that this was a virgin birth, and we'll look at why that was later on. So we're coming back to who is Joseph? The man Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, who is he? And so this is what we've learned in the story so far. The story is set in a little village of Nazareth, and Julian really painted that picture last week, didn't he, of this tiny little place of a tribe, maybe 600 to 2,000 people max, everybody knew everyone. And in this village lived a young teenage girl, Mary. Now, she had the visit from Gabriel, do you remember? She had this most incredible news that Gabriel was going to overshadow her, and by the Holy Spirit, she would carry Jesus, the Savior of the world. And Mary said yes to this. She said yes to the angel that she would go ahead. But the snag, the good thing and the snag, is Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And the next step of this story is to tell him, is to tell him what happened, that she is pregnant, but pregnant by an angel. And this is a tall story by any stretch because it never happened before. And in the culture at the time, betrothed meant stronger than an engagement. A betrothal was like a legal transaction that required a divorce to break it. And it was a very, very serious thing to break a betrothal. And so how did this chat go? This is the next part of the story that somehow Mary has to have this chat with, with Joseph. And if you remember, when Mary said yes to Gabriel, the scriptures tell us in Luke that she hurried off at that time to go and see Elizabeth. Do you remember? So it says, at this time, in Luke 1, at this time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, what's interesting is when Mary is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and conceives Jesus, Elizabeth 
Elizabeth, we are told, is already in her sixth month. So when Mary hurries off to see her, she stays at three months. That's almost up to the birth of John the Baptist. Now, we don't know because it doesn't tell us. Does Mary tell Joseph first and then nip out the way while he gets a home ready and everything because wedding's being brought forward? Or does she go off to Elizabeth first just to check it's real? Girls together, my bump, your bump, is this real? Compare pregnancy sickness. We don't really know, but we know at some point, either before this journey or afterwards, she has to tell Joseph, and here comes the crunch. So enter Joseph into the story. So Joseph, we learn from Matthew, he comes down the line of David, and in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us he's a righteous man. He faithfully obeyed God. Now, this was devastating news uh, to Joseph, of course, because he finds out that his betrothed pregnant. And it's devastating on two scores. So firstly, there's the personal disappointment. The personal disappointment of anticipating marrying Mary to find she's already pregnant and imagining that has to be another man. That's devastating news that it's off, the betrothal's off, the shame of it, that's really difficult. But secondly, I would imagine the shock at Mary's character, because people were often betrothed from a very young age, and to think that Mary isn't who who he thought she was, I think the shock of imagining, well, I thought I knew this person, and obviously I didn't, and we come to a pivotal point in the Christmas story. Everything hangs in the balance now with Joseph. What will he do next? How will he react? Because Mary is in the most vulnerable position. In the culture in the day, it was a shame to be pregnant outside of marriage. Her tribe could have rejected her. And there was no other means of support. So without the protection of her husband, she could be destitute and shunned. And that would leave Jesus vulnerable. So we see Mary's vulnerable, but Jesus is vulnerable too. Because Jesus is growing inside Mary and needs a mother to look after him. And the mother needs a father to look after them. So this all hangs on Joseph right now and his reaction to what's happened. What stands out to me at this point in the story is how Jesus himself was willing to come from heaven to be inside Mary as a tiny little fetus, as a tiny baby, and he made himself vulnerable for us. How vulnerable is that? When we think about Jesus coming into this world to rescue us, to save us from the things we've done wrong, how much he laid everything aside to do that. He put it all on the line for us, to be born and carried by a human host and to trust mankind to do that. In Philippians 2, it says that this, He laid aside his majesty, his mighty power and glory, taking the disguise of a slave and becoming like men. And he humbled himself even further, going so far as actually to die a criminal's death on a cross. It's astounding, isn't it? If you wonder, does Jesus love me? It's right here. He came into the world. He made himself vulnerable. He laid aside his majesty. And then he died a criminal's death on the cross that he would rise again, sinless, to set us free, that we too could walk with him and have heaven with him when we die. It's amazing. So this is now this pivotal moment in the Christmas story. How will Joseph respond? And at this point, well-timed, just on cue enters an angel. There's an incredible amount of angelic activity around the birth of Jesus and it's almost like an angelic team of midwives and consultants all hovering around and making sure this all goes really well. 
So we're going to read now Matthew's account. And this is the Gospel of Matthew, the account of the Christmas story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, this means like a righteous man, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, back in Isaiah's day, I think they must have wondered, what on earth is this? The virgin will conceive, but now we know. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Great story, familiar story. So we see here Joseph's response to the angel and to the challenge, that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel said straight away. Now there's other characters throughout the Bible who didn't do what the angel said straight away or needed another sign or asked for confirmation, but Joseph here, he's in a dilemma, the angel visits, he knows it's safe, and he obeys straight away. Here's the word of God, puts it into practice straight away. And it's like the angel has said to him, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. Because he spells out Jesus' destiny, that Jesus is going to come and save his people from their sins. This is a huge destiny. And so this mission is to become the earthly father of the savior of the world. And Joseph says yes, he takes it on. Also here, we see the angel saying to Joseph, you will name him Jesus. And there's two things going on here. It's an instruction, name him Jesus. He's going to save his people. But also it's giving a role to Joseph because baby naming was the parent's responsibility. It would be the parents that choose the baby's name. And so here the angel is saying, Joseph, if you take this on, you become the dad. You give him the name. You name the child Jesus. And all that means Joseph comes to be protector and provider. And if you sum up his role in the story, it is protector and provider. And and it's amazing how Joseph, in protecting and providing for Mary and Jesus, he, in that protection, allows Jesus to be born and grow up and Jesus to become our protector and provider. So he takes on that role first, that Jesus can grow up and protect us and provide for us too. It's just amazing, isn't it? It's really astounding. So we're gonna look at three things. And before we look at protect a provider, there's two little things I want to look at first. And the first one is something I love about this account that stands out about Joseph, is that we see he is kind and righteous. So he is righteous, a man of the law. He does the right thing, but he does it with kindness. 
Now, righteousness without kindness can be pretty bleak, but here we see Joseph marry the two together. And in verse 19, we're told here, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, obedient to God, righteous, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. Can you see how he he was going to do the right thing that he couldn't now marry her, but he was going to do it quietly so as not to expose her? The kindness in his heart is amazing. But he protected her, and because the angel said it's okay to go ahead because the baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit, by marrying her, he protected her, protected her reputation. And now that they were married, as the baby began to grow, everyone would just assume that it was Joseph's baby. She was protected, protected from shame, provided with a home, and safe. And I like the way he did the right thing with a kind heart. And I think... For all of us here to remember that everything we do, we can do the right thing in the wrong way. But let's do the right thing with a kind heart because God looks at our heart. And as I look around this room today, there are many people making this meeting possible who are doing the right thing in a kind way, who've been here since early, media, sound, cameras, live stream, the band, the rehearsals, the welcome, the booking system, everything that's needed, the people out there looking after Sunday school doing it with a good heart, being kind and doing the right thing. And of course, church life is way more than a service. It's how we love and care and support each other. And I love the way you as a church, Cornerstone, you're amazing, how you love and care and pray for one another, support each other, help people move and babysit and do things and care. Also the trustees and the governance and the small group leaders leading discipleship groups, student workers, alpha, project workers, all the various parts of church doing the right thing in a kind way. And that's what makes it such a joy to work and serve together. So well done for your kind service. Keep doing it. Keep doing the right thing in the right way. It is a beautiful attitude. Keep doing it. And here is Joseph, and it kind of shows you what kind of father he's going to be, mingling the righteousness with the kindness. And he's going to be a father who is leading his family and Jesus with righteousness and kindness in his fathering. And as he brought Jesus up in his own trade of carpentry and building, there he was doing it, modeling love, kindness, and the right thing together. I love that. The second thing we see about uh, Joseph in this situation is his purity. Now, he took Mary home as his wife, but didn't consummate their marriage. They didn't have sex together until after the baby was born. Now, why is this? What's going on here? Now, this is part of Joseph's sacrifice and him understanding the bigger picture that the virgin birth was absolutely necessary for the salvation of all mankind, that Jesus was pure and sinless, and later as he grew up as a man and he resisted temptation, he went all the way to the cross as a blameless sacrifice for us. And last week, Julian talked all about um, uh, the fall and going down the male line, and go back to part one if you want to see that. So this was really important. So although Jesus was already conceived by the Holy Spirit, even so, Joseph chooses not to sleep with Mary until the baby is born. So, the, so Mary is, uh, conceives as a virgin, but also gives birth as a virgin, so that there's no misunderstanding, there's no, nobody can say, well, you know, Joseph is 
virgin at conception, virgin at birth, no misunderstanding or mistaking the truth because it's so important. And so you can see here how Joseph uh, is, is living in his own self-control of taking his wife, but waiting the nine months or, or longer so that they don't consummate the birth. And this is Joseph seeing the bigger picture and living in light of it. I, I really like that. I like to see how he, he's managing this life situation. Now, we know later they went on to have more children. Do you remember in Matthew 13, one of many verses where it talks about Jesus and his brothers and sisters, and this is the local people. When Jesus went back to his hometown and he was teaching in the synagogue and they were amazed, and they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? So we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters and Mary Mary and Joseph um, lived a a normal life as a couple and had other children. But in this instance, when this is so tender and new and so much hanging on it, Joseph is a courageous man. He does the right thing with kindness and he also understands the bigger picture. And for each of us as human beings, the Bible speaks very clearly to us about how we handle our sexuality, just like Joseph does in this um, passage here. And it's not something you usually hear talked about in the middle of a Christmas message, but it just like stands out so obvious that here it is. And the Bible teaches us whether in singleness or in marriage, handling our sexual desires and feelings as believers needs to be in accordance with the Bible's wise advice for us, for us and for others around us. So whether we are single or widowed, whether we are married, or whether we are married with a life change in our marriage, maybe an injury or disability or long-term sickness or distance, All these things require us to walk in self-control as believers. So let's look a little bit at the Bible's advice. And this is just, uh, this is a whole other talk, but we just put a little bit of it in here. So firstly, some of the characters in the Bible that really speak to us, Jesus and Paul. If you remember, Paul was an apostle in the early church. He was Saul persecuting the church. He had an amazing conversion on the road to Damascus. And then he became Paul, and he was the most important, really, founder of the early church, traveling all over. And he would go around the churches and say, be single like me. Look how devoted I am to the Lord. And he lived as a single celibate man all his life. So he gives some advice to the church, as does Jesus. So let's start with Jesus. Now Jesus in Matthew 19, he talks about the gift of singleness and living without sex. He puts it like this. There are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus was like that. Jesus chose to live a focused single life And when he died on the cross, he died as a single man. Now, managing our sexual desires in our singleness or in marriage is an important part of our Christian life. And here's some advice from Paul. Now, Paul does like to really go for it, so this is just a snippet. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, I wish all as I myself am. That's because he was a single man, devoted, single-minded to God. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to remain single, as I am, because he says earlier, you can be focused on serving God. 
But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And he's saying here, if we can't have our sexual desires under control, then we need to marry one another in, in, in marriage. There we go. 1 Corinthians 7, 36, he says this. He's giving advice to the Corinthian church because they were a little crazy. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, let them marry. He's showing here that living together isn't an option for the Christian, and that if we are living together, then we need to decide, is our future together? And if it is, he says, let them marry. And then Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter five, verse three, he says, but among you, this is the group of believers, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. This means any sex outside of marriage, fornication or any other type, or any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, there's way more verses than that, but that's just a few for a Sunday morning. And the summary of it is this. The Bible teaches us, as Christian believers walking with God, that firstly, if we are living a single life, to live a celibate single life like Jesus or Paul. But if we are called into marriage, to live faithfully that our sexual life remains within marriage. And that's the Bible's teaching for us to follow. And God helps us with our mistakes and our journeys and our backgrounds and whatever has happened to us in our life. But there comes a time when, maybe like Joseph, when the angel spoke to him, he acted straight away. And sometimes when we see what the Bible says, maybe it's time to say, actually, I think maybe I need a journey with Jesus to be dealing with this area in my life. And so as Christians, the Bible teaches us live pure in our singleness, live pure in our marriage, whichever way, single married is both equal, but to keep our desires pure. And we can see how Joseph did that here, that for the bigger picture, he refrained. Now, as a little aside, you see this picture of Jesus. Now, we love this picture of Jesus that uh, Matthew often uses. Thank you, Matthew. We, we love this picture, don't we? It, Jesus looks friendly, compassionate, helps us to imagine. But I often think, what would it be like if Jesus was walking around in the UK today, like in London? What would it be like if he was there in London? And of course, if he did go to London, he would definitely visit Nicky Gumbel. That would be his first visit. Uh, and there he, would, there he would be with Nicky Gumbel. Uh, but what if he was like going incognito? so he wasn't surrounded by all the fans. And here we are, and this is the Twitter, the um, Instagram account of the actor, Jonathan Rumi, who acts Jesus in The Chosen. I just saw that this week on Instagram, and I was like, I've always wondered what it looked like if Jesus was walking around the UK, and now I know, and there he is. And so if you see a guy, hat, glasses, maybe, just maybe, who knows. Final part, number three, protector and provider. Now, looking at... Joseph, as the protector and provider, reminds me of a beautiful story of a man called Boaz. And I want you to imagine, we go back to Bethlehem now in a hot, dusty season of harvest. And it's the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and the workers are all bringing in the harvest. And into this scenario, there is a lady called Naomi, an older lady. Now, she left Bethlehem when there was a famine years before and went to Moab. And while she's in Moab, uh, she and her husband had 
boys, uh, they married, but all the family apart from the daughter-in-laws died. And Naomi said, my life is bitter. I'm going back home to Bethlehem. And she went alone. So her daughter-in-law, Ruth, said, you're not going on your own. I have learned to trust in the God that you serve, Naomi, and I'm going to come back with you and look after you and provide for you. And so they travel back to the family home, but they have no way of looking after themselves or sustenance. So the home would probably still be there. But the only way that they can look after themselves is for Ruth, who is a stranger and an an alien, a visitor, a guest in this community, to go into the fields and glean. So basically to pick up the leftovers. They didn't even have food bank. But this was God's way of providing for people and the poor. They could go into the harvest field, whoever's field it was, and begin to just pick up any grain that had been left, which I guess wasn't much depending on who owned the field. And of course we find it happens by accident that Ruth ends up in Boaz's field. And uh, in that culture, women could not survive alone. They needed a protector. And God had provided for this in the law by a kinsman redeemer. And so somebody in the family line could redeem the family as in buying back, marrying the widow so that the property wouldn't be lost. And so Boaz comes into this picture. He's the potential kinsman redeemer. And we see him do the right thing by them, but the right thing with such kindness. Here's another Joseph. I think it must be in the family. When Boaz hears the selfless story of Ruth leaving her own people, traveling um, with Naomi, caring for her, looking after her, he says this to his workers. Don't give her any trouble. Let her drink out of the water jars. Come and drink with us. Pull out extra. In Ruth 2 verse 16, he says to them, even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. You see the provision here. It's amazing. Now, Boaz is like a type of Jesus, an example of Jesus. And this sense of extra, I want us to take that on in our hearts today. What extra do you need? Even pull out some from the bundles, leave them for her to pick up. This is how God treats us. He treats us with the extra. He pulls out the extra for you. And in this season, what is the extra that you need? What is it? Name it right now. Say, Lord, I need this right now. This is what I need. This is where I'm at. This is the extra I need. I'm not quite managing right now. Or I need your help in a specific circumstance. Or I need healing. Ask him for the extra. And here in Psalm 23, David worships like this, talking about the extra. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And ask him now, just say it under your breath, Lord, this is the extra I need. Come and meet me in it. Because just like Ruth thought she was lonely and landed in that field by accident, there was a protector. There was the rest of the chapter coming her way, and she was protected in that field. And secondly, let us pull out the extra for others. Who might be a Ruth in your life? Who needs including? Who's on the fringe? Who's here without a family? Who is vulnerable for our care or just for our attention? And let us make sure as the body of Christ together that we watch out for the ones, the Ruths among us, that we do the extra for them and care for them. They're never alone. 
And Boaz also noticed that Ruth searched out God's protection. Let us not be passive. When there's things going on in our life, don't just be passive and suffer, but search God out, search him. She put herself in God's care. And by coming all the way to Bethlehem, she was saying, God, I know you're there. Be my God too, not just the God of Naomi, but my God. And when Boaz noticed this about her, how she chose to put herself in God's care, in Ruth 2, he says this, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It was a choice. Don't be out in the cold. Come under the wings. There's a great big wing of God waiting to scoop you in and protect you, provide for you and look after you. And if you've never, ever before come to Jesus, know that he went all the way to the cross for you, came as a vulnerable baby, went to the cross to redeem you, to buy you back. You can come under the shadow of his wing to be protected and provided. So, whether we've been a Christian ages and ages, or whether we never yet made that step, but we're going to make it today, come under the shelter of his provision and ask for that extra. So this beautiful story of Boaz, providing, protecting, this picture of Jesus. Later, many years later, Jesus arrives in Bethlehem. Boaz is Bethlehem as a little baby, and then he grows up as a man to die on a cross outside Jerusalem for us. Now, Boaz is recorded in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus that we looked at at the beginning. You remember we talked about the birth of Jesus coming all the way down to Joseph. It records here, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So there he is, included in the genealogy, coming all the way down to Jesus. So Boaz was the great-grandfather of King David, and it comes all the way down to Joseph. So if you see this little slide here, you've got Abraham, multiple generations, Salmon, great name, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, King David, many generations, all the way down to Joseph. So the lineage is really important, and I was just thrilled to see Boaz right there in the middle of the family line. Two outstanding men, redeemers, protectors, that Jesus could safely grow up to become our kinsman redeemer. And if you've never read the story of Ruth, or you've never read the Bible before, Google Ruth, it's only four chapters, it'll be a joyful story for you to experience. So back to the end of the story. So back in Nazareth, now we know Joseph has married Mary, taken her into his care, and Luke records the eyewitness testimonies of how the birth happens. And so we're going to go to Luke 2 to look at the end of the story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now notice here, you know when you get your Christmas cards, there's just Mary and Joseph and a donkey, but because in Nazareth there was a whole clan and tribe, many of them would have traveled. They would have actually traveled in like a caravan, not a caravan like, you know, down the Gower, but a caravan, as in lots of people, and they would all have, ca- have traveled together in a big party. 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And so here they end up in Bethlehem. No suitable place for the birth, just another crisis for Joseph to manage. He's the provider protector and he dealt with it as we expect Joseph to do. And then we have this miracle birth and I cannot imagine what that was like for Mary and for Joseph. After all that time, the sacrifice, the, the not knowing, the, the insecurity, the, the fact that they were carrying the savior of the world and there isn't even anywhere suitable for him to be born. And they lay him in a manger and they're holding Jesus in their arms. What must that moment have been like? Can you imagine what an honor and a privilege for them to go through all that sacrifice? And then there he is, there's that little baby in their arms after so much sacrifice. And then Joseph, the er earthly father, names the baby. Here I am, the father, the protector, and he names him Jesus. So to close this talk, we see that Joseph, who is this man? He was selfless in his care to protect and provide for Mary and Jesus. He did what was right with kindness and he acted quickly when the angel came to him. He was quick to obey God's instructions. A man of courage, of faith, and of action. And we see this to be the hallmark of Joseph's character as we go through the next part of the story next week. Mm, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this amazing story. And firstly, Lord, we, we each just thank you from our hearts. We are so grateful, Lord, that to reach us, you became like us and that you made yourself vulnerable and you put yourself in the care of Mary and Joseph. We thank you that Mary said yes and that Joseph said yes and that they were people who honored you and they were willing for that risk and adventure and they put their life on the line in caring and traveling and just facing other people's opinion. And I ask, Lord, you'll put that same courageous spirit within us that we can serve you with kindness and do the right thing and to serve one another. And Lord, I ask for every person here who just needs that extra today. I pray, Lord, that you will come with that extra, whatever it is they need, that you are the God that pulls out the extra, that we're not living on the leftovers. And I ask, Lord, that you'll come in the power of your Holy Spirit, just bring courage and faith and comfort to every person here. And just as we're praying, I feel that um, for some people here, you've been in a really stressful situation and, and God wants you to know it's nearly over. This is nearly the end. You're not gonna stay in this place. That it is nearly the end. Ask him for the extra and see what he does. And Lord, I thank you we bring before you, Lord, our, our sickness, our mental health, our stressful work situations, family issues, all the things sometimes we feel so stuck. And I thank you, you're gonna bring your extra. And I pray you breathe that now by the power of your spirit. And he wants you to know that this is nearly over.
And Lord, we ask that you will help us to, to, to live a pure life with our, with our sexual feelings and desires, that we come before you and ask that you will help us to walk in your way in these things. And Lord, we pray for all those among us who are like a stranger in the land, like Ruth. I want to encourage you, find your place, but for us as the people of God, to love and to care. So Lord, we thank you for this Christmas story. We thank you for all that you have in store for us in our lives. And I ask you'll empower us now by the power of your Holy Spirit to live for you in your power. Amen.